everyone. Welcome to this episode of Trending Left. I'm Samuel Birdsall. I'm Andrew Herrera. I'm Nicholas Cobb. And I'm Marco Wajardo. So today we're going to be talking about the uh, elections of the last weekend, which were a godsend and Ooh. desperately... The blue wave! So, There's going to the be tsunami, so man. much winning, it's going to make your head spin, folks. Yep. Okay. He was right. He, he was, was right. right. He, was, yeah. he, he was right. So after a year of special election losses and disappointments and overperformances in four, in four or five different states, election night 2017, this past Tuesday, was something of a, a breath of fresh air, a sigh of relief, that we can all confidently say that the the resentment towards Trump and excitement on our side can translate into election victories. So, all right, so I want to go around the room a little bit and start hearing y'all's consensus on these elections, starting with the Virginia gubernatorial and uh, with the House of Delegates races that we saw. So I think it's pretty nuanced overall. Um, I think what a lot of conservatives have been saying to kind of diminish this are is true in some parts in the sense that some of these victories were in blue states, yes, um, especially the New Jersey gubernatorial race, and especially since Chris Christie was as unpopular as he was. Um, however, I think we made massive gains in terms of the kind of inclusivity that we saw in candidates that won, uh, transgender candidates, um, people of color in places where you wouldn't normally see women uh, of color, women of color, yeah, refugees, great. Um, like the mayor who won in Montana. Uh, so I, I think between the Montana w- uh, victories and Washington and Georgia, we saw a broad based coalition of progressives winning everywhere. And I think that that's the key word to take away from this is progressives, people who are to the left of where the establishment of the party is right now. Uh, so any, anytime you see, you know, Tom Perez come out and cheer these victories on, I, I want Tom Perez to take away from this that. Tom, it's not your playbook that won the day here. Yes, we did get a Trump bump. Yes, that's a big part of it. Yes, you know, Democrats are, you know, seen as, I guess, more favorable. But we have like a 37% approval rating. It's the same as Donald Trump as a party. And that's ridiculous. Um, We have to get it out of our head that the old school tactics and old school campaigns are are what's going to win the day. We really want to take back the House and take back the Senate, which... All this Doug Jones stuff really, I mean, it could be it's a air. very big possibility. Yeah. We have to campaign on progressive values. Right. Uh, another thing I want to take away from this is that, like like you said, it's not, a lot of these races aren't weren't won with like a national playbook and a national strategy, which I'm not begrudging that idea. It's that a lot of these candidates were winning because they were talking to their local, the local people that they were running Rassers. to represent. Yeah, they were talking like to their, to their personal issues. Like the transgender candidate, like she didn't make the race about transgender issues. She made it about traffic. She made it about, you know, highway maintenance, that kind of thing. You know, just things that speak to that, to those local groups. Because, you know, you when you're running for something like the House of Delegates, it doesn't do you well to nationalize the race a little bit and, like, talk about big, overarching national problems, which you have a right to talk about. And if people are asking about it and you talk about it, but largely you have to focus on what's ailing, what's ailing the district. Is it traffic? Is it uh, school quality? Is it, you know, parks and recreation, that kind of thing. You have to speak to your district. And I think that's what we saw on Tuesday night, people speaking to their district, speaking to their state um, and, and, and winning for it. Yeah. And I think that was definitely uh, characterized by a quote she gave after she won. She said, <laughs> Oh, you know, the person who I defeated, I'm not going to call him my enemy. He's my constituent now. Right. So right. That, that shows a lot, uh, a, little bit, yeah, a lot of class and a little bit of a, a, little bit of a side swipe, a little shade. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 we enjoy that. Especially since it's the architect of the first bathroom bill. Like mm-hmm. The guy who's like the arch enemy of transgender, you know, the community is a huge victory. 
So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there were a lot of poetic victories on Tuesday night. Like, the, again, the first transgender uh, candidate, Danica Rome, she defeated... Oh, openly transgender. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, yeah, yes, yes. Um, she she defeated uh, one of the most homophobic politicians in the country. He calls himself Virginia's chief homophobe, and now yeah. he's out of office, which is great. Um, the 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 boyfriend of a, of a, of a gun victim defeated a heart a, a politician that has an A rating from the NRA yeah. uh, and there are other victories like that oh um, a Liberian refugee I believe yeah. the, 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 the mayor of Montana yeah yeah mayor of um, which city is that Montana I forget I think but Helena I think he's, he's the, the first he's the first African American mayor they've, they've elected so yeah yeah and and against a, a guy that didn't want to have refugees in the city and he defeated him which is great again it's so just there was that first the first Sikh mayor yeah, in, in New, yeah. New Jersey yeah, yeah Republican, absolutely yeah. Absolutely. He was getting like uh, a campaign against him on the basis of being a terrorist, which is something that Sikh community has faced a lot ever since 9-11. Like right. people think Sikhs are Muslims. No, they're not. Right, right. But also Muslims are not terrorists. Yeah. And that's the other thing. There was yeah. somewhere else there was like in the first, Minneapolis, right? Yeah, there, there was, was some the city in there somewhere. Yeah. Like that. yeah. I want to say that was in Seattle. I yeah, that, that was in Seattle. Yeah, yeah, that was in Seattle. Right, right. So, again, we're seeing, yeah, some of these are, are progressive places like Seattle and Washington. Some of these are, are blue states, like we mentioned, and that's what conservatives and Republicans will use to downplay these elections. But, in, but you know, when you look at it at a granular level, yeah. again, we flipped seats that had been voting for their, for their representatives by, like, 10 to 12 points, mm -hmm. and we flipped them with, like, 8, 10, 12-point margins. Some of them are very close, sure. But we're flipping them nonetheless. Exactly. So you can't take that away from from these accomplishments. Yeah, you know, Ralph Northam won in a state that Hillary Clinton won by five points. But not only did he meet that margin, he also expanded it to an eight-point margin. And he overperformed the polls as well. And he kind of shut down the pundits that were saying, oh, you know, Ralph Northam is floundering. He's not, you know, he... he He's not going to win or whatever, right? Like, I don't know if y'all saw Morning Joe the day before the election. None, the, the entire panel refused to, like, acknowledge that Ralph Northam had a chance of winning. And then he silenced them. He won by eight points, by a huge margin. Yeah, it's a blue state, but it's becoming bluer. And that's going to be, Virginia's going to be part of the reason the Democrats take back the House in 2018. Mm -hmm. You know, or, or just expand on our governorships, expand on our state legislative, you know, um, like the control of the chambers that we have. We came very close to flipping the House of Delegates. I think when the recounts are over, it's going to be that we're going to be one short of flipping the House of Delegates. But that was a GOP supermajority that is gone. Yes. Okay, now they're going to have to compromise with Democrats, and they're going to have to work with us. Not to mention the state Senate is not as was not as GOP dominant. Right. So it's going to, Virginia is going to be you know at least you know it's going to be a better chamber for bipartisanship, which is much better than having it like just overwhelmingly conservative. Another reason Virginia was such a huge victory is that it was pretty gerrymandered already. Yeah. yeah. So having to surmount such a huge obstacle and come out of such a huge victory is really a momentous uh, occasion. You're right to bring up gerrymandering because that's, I mean, is it good for us to stop the Trump agenda? That's, I mean, the basically non-existent Trump agenda, of course. But the most important <laughs> thing for us to do is to really focus on gerrymandering going forward, right? The next census is up. Um, after this 2018-2020 uh, primary election. So it's important for us to get control of the House again because if we don't, then we're going to see nationwide the, the rut that the Democratic Party currently is in with Republicans is going to be that much worse. Well, hopefully the Supreme Court will decide yeah, yeah, against... Absolutely, yeah. Right. Another thing to keep in mind is that a lot of these districts, you know, like we mentioned, they are heavily gerrymandered against Democrats. And while we saw in Virginia 
that those gerrymandered lines are following because they were constructed in 2010 yeah. where you know suburban like wealthier suburban uh voters were voting republican now they're leaning democratic mm -hmm. so that's kind of the cause of some of these victories but another thing is that while if in if in time for 2020 that we can't flip some of these chambers we can't elect democratic governors which will say hey i'm not going to approve of this map you have to approve of a, of a fairer map right. you know even in a in a republican controlled state legislator uh, legislature a democratic governor can be the stop you know that can be like you know you have to get past this point and if Republicans are going to be continuing to draw on gerrymandered maps and we have Democratic governors, then those maps are not going to be in place, which is great. Um, but I saw on a podcast that, you know, Republicans drew a lot of these lines because of suburban voters that mm -hmm. they thought would be voting more reliably, reliably Republican. But we're seeing that they're trending left, left. if you will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're trending Democratic, and which is which is great. That's a new base of voters that, that we're winning over in, in large and larger margins each election. But we also have to be making sure that we're speaking to rural voters because Democrats are... You know, we are the party that champions for, you know, the working class, even if they don't quite see it yet, mm -hmm. or if it's hard, if our message isn't being put out there uh, well enough. Um, you know, in, in Maine, we saw that they expanded Medicare, uh, which is great by a huge margin, the vote, you know, and whether Paula Page will approve of it or not, that's another legality. But we're seeing that Medicare and, and uh, benefits and entitlements can be a bipartisan issue because... Uh, you know, disproportionately, it's poor people, also minorities that benefit from it. It's the most and popular policy in the country. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, you, you are seeing in the state that Trump almost won, you know, Maine, you know, only went for Clinton by about three points, that these policies are popular. So we have to be campaigning on those policies and making sure that we're speaking to every voter. But at the moment, you know, we're talking about gerrymandered lines and if people are still going to be voting one way or the other, it's great to be have to, to have an expanding base of voters in areas that Republicans thought they used to be able to count on. I mean, I, I think this is a huge victory for everyone who considers themselves a progressive. I mean, this was the one thing that we needed right now. Mm -hmm. You know, we had the enthusiasm initially from Trump's election kind of dying down. You know, the marches have stopped. The protests, for the most part, have stopped. Uh, we've kind of gotten into, the, into this rut where as progressives every day we look on the news or we, you know, go on Facebook and we do see more and more regulations being put through. We see things like that judge who was just confirmed by the Senate, who's literally never, never tried a case in his life. Right. Just more examples of crony capitalism, vastly under underqualified people staffing the government. Parts of the government, like the State Department, continuously being understaffed. Yeah. Um, we see, you know, our our orange fascist Cheeto president going. <laughs> I mean, going going overseas to places where we have sensitive histories with like Da Nang, like Vietnam, like you know, John McCain was tweeting about, refusing to mention human rights violations, refusing to bring up um, topics like you know, TPP and things like that, refusing to have the knowledge and the scope to discuss these things and to involve the U.S. in them in world affairs, right? right. We saw also you know, him saying that he trusts Putin on election interference more than he trusts you know, our intelligence FBI, agencies, right. NSA, Department of Justice. It's ridiculous. And so what we needed now more than ever was this victory to show that, yes, everyone, we're on the anti-Trump train, right? right? Not just within the party, but outside of it as well. It's that crossover. Um, but I think we also have to square this with some stuff that, you know, due to a lack of episode this past week, we didn't get to talk about, which was the shakeup at the DNC. Yeah. Right? Tom yes. Perez ousting a ton of... Per well, no. Well, we did talk about it, but the audio followed yeah, corrupted. Yeah, yeah, so. uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, uh, some of in the stuff we were talking about was the idea that we had a betrayal at the, the innermost levels of the party, in which case Tom Perez and... You know, the people around him said that they were going to bring in the progressive wing of the party more so now than ever, make it an, an inclusive party, one that really, you know, embraced grassroots progressivism. And as soon as they had the opportunity, they gutted it, right? Right. Um, so, I mean, how do you guys feel that that squares up with 
what we're seeing now? What do you think the party's next step has to be as far as like making sure that the victories we got to, you know, this past weekend are not wasted going forward? The next steps the party needs to take is to continue to embrace, well, I mean, to start embracing pro pro progressives more. Mm -hmm. You know, you constantly see progressives like Keith Ellison being pushed to the side, and especially with these, uh, with the new reveals from Donna Brazil, mm -hmm. it's showing that, uh, that was a little wild. Yeah, that was, that was insane. The reveals and then the backtracking on those reveals. Yeah, that yeah. was that was bizarre. I don't even know what to make of that Howard anymore. Dean weighing in. I mean, yeah. To, to me, it really seems like it seems like she came out with these things, which are true. I mean, we, we literally we can read the emails. I've read them myself. And then she backtracks because I feel like someone strong armed her into it. Yeah. What are we supposed to make of Donna Brazil now? Like. She revealed these things. She backtracked, and I don't yeah. know what's going I mean, on I still, there. I still I'm don't have ambivalent about. I her. still don't have respect yeah, because she still did reveal um, debate questions to. Well, okay. exactly. That's right. That's correct. I mean, it's yeah. you can't you can't play both sides of this argument and say that you were trying to you know reveal the truth about collusion or anything like that, and then you right. show collusion yourself. And then right. not so to mention, she was taking a picture with uh, Sheriff David Clark recently. Yeah. So uh, that, kind that of was, was yeah, that was yeah, that was pretty bad. So, so I'm I don't glad know that why you would make that bad move like oh my gosh i know you're, so you're, I'm, you're already have this new information about the about what was happening in the dnc you know, but i'm very skeptical about you're already in hot water with pretty much 50 to 55 percent of the democratic party mm -hmm. and then you take a picture with one of the most hated republicans in the country i mean come on you know there's uh, a democrat oh that's true no that's a true quote unquote democrat you sure quite runs as a democrat yeah. i don't even want to i don't even want to talk about big, that big, right big ten party right? no 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 no, 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 party, not, no 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 this is not a big ten party yeah we're example kidding. we're kidding we're kidding okay okay, okay. We, we can disavow yes. David Clark's yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the main thing is like the progressives have proven that they can win now yeah. yes absolutely massive numbers and that's what we've been saying all and along you know the, well i mean yeah yeah but now there's the proof which frankly didn't need to be proved but still um, and now the DNC just needs to provide the proper funding to these people, which they've been avoiding doing for past year plus. Hey, speaking of providing proper funding, let's talk about how all these elections affect will affect the Texas race in uh, 2018. Yeah, that's a, that's a great... Or, you know, the resignations. That's a, yeah. <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a great segue into just talking about the midterms in general. We can get, we can get really frustrated at the DNC, and, and we are. But the fact of the matter is also the candidates that are running down ballot, like, again, you know, we see in our in our own city, we have phenomenal candidates running for congressional seats. I mean, we all know and love Chris Perry. You know, he has he had nothing to do with with with, with helping Hillary Clinton win the nomination last year. You know, he had absolutely nothing to do with that. There are down ballot candidates that are doing great work for the Democratic Party that are working to reform from the inside at the county level, at the state level, at the precinct level. And they are running for seats because they actually care to represent us. They had nothing to do with Hillary Clinton last year. So we have to be making sure that we're holding those accountable that deserve to be hold, held accountable. We're also supporting great candidates that are running to fix the Democratic Party brand. You know, and there, there are others, too, like like Beto O'Rourke is, is yeah. running. Yeah, no, absolutely. And there are great Senate candidates popping up in, in like, Arizona and in Ohio or whatever you want. You know, we have to make sure that, you know, again, like, we hold the feet to the fire, people like Tom Perez and Donna Brazil, but we need to be making sure that we have our priorities straight and are voting for candidates that will benefit us, you know, if they're elected. Yeah, as far as Texas goes, just going back to the uh, last weekend's election, the passage of Prop 4... Uh, Oh, yeah. Is going to be a really significant problem. Like, as a yeah. Texan, I'm like very happy for how well everything went in other states. Yeah. But here, that's going to lead to 
a essentially a direct attack on judicial review, which seems to me like it's unconstitutional, even if it's now technically a part of our Texan constitution. Well, I've, um, I've heard murmurings that it might it might go to court. Yeah, so. it, it, it freaks it's good. better. Yeah. But if it it still provides an avenue, um, if it doesn't get struck down for huge attacks on, for example, uh, abortion clinics, it doesn't take long to do permanent damage to these kinds of institutions. And 45 days is more than enough. Right. So, and that's why we need to make the gains, you know, statewide in Texas. Whether we're talking about at uh, you know the very top of the ticket, we have Mike Collier, who's a great candidate running for lieutenant governor. Right. Obviously, the Texas governor's race is, is kind of up in the air. I think. I mean, I'm excited just to the fact that there's five to seven people in the Democratic primary. I mean, a lot of them are not well-known figures, mm-hmm. but we have people that are running. You right. know, that that's the good thing. If we can get party support behind them, really get their message out there, I'm sure we can find a really great progressive candidate to all rally behind. Right. Um, obviously, we already mentioned Beto being a, a great way to, yeah. to kind of bring out the the turnout for the midterms. I think mm-hmm. he was he was literally just quoted the other day when he was uh, in Katy for a town hall. Uh, he was called the JFK of Texas, which yeah. I, I mean I think yeah. is so true. I, I, he, I agree. He, he consistently gets those articles calling him, you know, Kennedy esque. And I mean, when you when you see him, when you meet him, when you see him at an event, like you really get that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's fantastic. Yeah, um, but like Kim Olson running for ag ag commissioner. Yeah, uh, we have a, a ton of people stepping up, like you were saying, you know, running for for congressional districts. Right. And I mean, we have. Uh, I know these guys aren't necessarily a huge fan of Justice Democrats or brand new Congress, but I love what those organizations are doing as far as the primary process goes here in Texas. I think Rick Trevino and TX23 is really great. I love Lindsey Fagan, who's running. Um, like you mentioned, Chris Perry. I yeah. think he's really good. Derek Crow, um, Elliot McFadden's also really good. Uh, we have tons of great congressional candidates running to really make a difference. You yeah, know? we're really building our bench here in Texas, yeah, which is no, something that we that, desperately need. That, that's like, that, this Texas, is ground zero the Texas for Texas House it. level, too. I mean, we, we heard a few weeks back from our, our state representative, Gene Hinojosa, yeah. mentioning that yeah. there is a possibility that in one to two election cycles, the Democrats could at least reach somewhat close to half of the, of the House chamber in Texas, right, which is right. fantastic. Which would be, again, you know what we saw in Virginia, which is important because right now you know, they have, I don't know if, if it's a supermajority or a near supermajority, and that's basically catastrophic for a state, right? You know, when you have a GOP supermajority, you know, they can override, uh, even if there's a Democratic governor, they can override vetoes, they can, you know, institute, like, massive regulatory repeal, which destroys the environment, destroys women's health, destroys, mm-hmm. you know... Uh, um, um, like destroys credibi- progress. It destroys accountability for police. Destroys progress. Exactly. So it, it, it's really important that yes, we get people in governors' mansions that will you know veto awful legislation and, and force you know at least bipartisanship. That way things can be less terrible. But also flipping state houses to make sure that hey you know there are Democrats running the place and they're going to make sure that you know we don't have a lot of these awful. Um, some of this awful legislation moving forward. Again, like you mentioned, you mentioned Gina Hinojosa, and also um, uh, I forgot who came to uh, a UDEMS meeting a couple weeks ago. Um, Eddie Rodriguez. Yeah, yes, Eddie Yeah, both of them saying that like this uh, legislative session was like the worst they had seen in years in terms of like how how the order went, like the regular order went down, and like how the special session was initiated, and like the, the legislative priorities that were being prioritized, if you will. Mm-hmm. It's just. A total disaster. Like nothing short so of have, catastrophe. So we have the Tea Party wing controlling a lot of the Texas Senate's influence through, you know, um, through Dan Patrick, the lieutenant governor. Then we have also, you know, people like uh, like Briscoe Cade and, and Jonathan Stickland in the House, right? Kind of, you know, throwing in all of these disgusting amendments to bills um, during, you know, the last, the final day of the session, right, right before Sin Die. 
um, trying to get, you know, all these little, like, transportation bills and stuff like that, and they just, like, they, it's these disgusting, like, exclusionary amendments or right. like, disgusting stuff related to women's health, like, trying to limit access to abortion and stuff like that, mm-hmm. like, in bills where it doesn't belong, you know, it's just, it's just this awful influence that hopefully we see gone after this progressive wave, right? Yeah, no, hopefully, or at the very least, you know, tempered by a Democratic governor or shortened, you know, even if we can't eliminate GOP majorities, we can eliminate super majorities, which, right. again, which we did in Virginia. Just getting people out to vote in Republican primaries is important, and I think Gina talked a lot yeah. about this, too, was the idea that, you know, the far right is controlling Republican primaries, especially in places like Texas, right? right. We see that all the time. We have um, we have a Texas House district. It's 52. It's in Round Rock right outside of Austin where we are right now. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, the people who are running right now, the two main contenders in that are a far right, frankly, nut job. Who, I mean, we have Republicans and Democrats saying this, and then you have a more moderate candidate. Kind of, um, kind of on the same business Republican side as the as the Republican who's retiring from that race. But you also have a, a great Democratic candidate who's running, James Tallarico. Right. And, and James is going to be much better off, and the district's going to be much better off if they have a moderate Republican that he can run at, someone who he can find compromise in debate with. You know. Right. I mean, it's just you want it to be where if the Republican wins, you don't feel like the state is headed towards. A nuclear, a nuclear meltdown, right? right. You right. want someone, obviously, if they're going to be elected over a Democrat, to be somewhat reasonable. Mm-hmm. You don't want these Tea Partiers, these right-wing you know, zealots to be in, in the Texas House. Right, and I think that's what people are starting to see now, hopefully. You know, like Ed Gillespie in Virginia, he right. ran on Trumpism, which is a bit of a bizarre strategy considering that Trump lost the state last year. I mean, but, he, was, he was a Bannon. Yeah, no, he was <laughs> a Bannon supporter. You know, and, and Virginia voters, you know, while Virginia, people call Virginia a blue state, I, I still think it's more of like a purple state leaning on blue. Yeah, in, I think in many it's ways. because Tim Kaine was running his VP, so that helped out yeah. a little yeah, bit. Tim, so. Yeah, Tim Kaine absolutely helped a lot, right? And But like, Democrats have gone uh, undefeated statewide since they last lost in 2009 uh, in a statewide election. So they've been undefeated since then. But like, there are still, like, you know, again, like the fact that there are still like uh, GOP majorities in the state ledge, like, that's why it's kind of a purple state leaning on blue. But Ed Gillespie ran on Trumpism, and he not only did he lose, like, he lost pretty badly in what's technically supposed to be a swing state. So people are starting to realize that, hey, like, Trumpism isn't working this far right ethos isn't quite working and like it's not helping out anyone we've had again we've had seven to eight years of the tea party controlling the conversation and all that's happened is that we've we've gotten worse as a country we've gotten worse in like environmentalism and global leadership like andrew said and people are starting to wake up to that hopefully and like they're they're giving democrats power in legislatures they're giving democrats governorships and they're saying hey you know Fight for my entitlements, you know. Fight for for benefits like Medicare and and Medicaid, and and fight for the environment. Fight for women's rights and fight for you know fight against police brutality and that kind of thing. So hopefully, hopefully that'll translate nationwide. We've yet to see that again. While these elections were really great victories for us, and we can feel really proud of you know people in Virginia and New, New Jersey or whatever. But we have to make sure that we do the same thing in 2018. We tell our friends to go out and vote because you know, not only is there you know senatorial and gubernatorial here, there are you know Senate races and governor's races all across the country. But I mean, you know, don't just preserve those things. Don't just preserve those institutions. Push forward. Really put forward a mm. regressive, you know, not just platform, but a policy set, something you're going to govern on. Exactly. Right? I mean, yeah. Ralph Northam was the more moderate out of the Yeah, but he, was still, but he still had a lot of pretty well, of progressive course, of course, values. Of course, but what I'm saying is... Like, he fought for, he, like, he, he campaigned on a $15 minimum wage. Of course, yeah. Camp- not, yeah. Not, not definitely discounting his progressivism. Right, I'm right. just saying, make sure now that you have 
you know, the people in the legislature to possibly do that, push forward with it. Yeah. Really try and do that, you know. I mean, people are going to respect you more as an electorate if you follow through on those campaign promises and really try and do that. Show that your state is ahead of this disastrous federal administration, you know, yeah. on all of these issues. Really push forward. If, if you're in a state that does not have a Medicaid expansion, you know, contact your state legislators. Get a Medicaid expansion. Yeah, there are, there are like 10 states across the country that are, or more that can vote on Medicaid expansion. And hopefully we can, we can see that. To follow through on what Marco was saying earlier, not only is it uh, helpful for the electorate to see that, you know, Trumpism doesn't work, like that sends a really strong message to the currently elected uh, Republican um, officials that, hey, it's uh, not a good idea to follow through on Trumpist policy and that, which is a much needed moderating effect in the uh, years we have left under Trump. Right. We're seeing 20 plus Incumbent Republican congressmen and congresswomen not running for re-election. Yeah. And, two, and two senators. Yeah, there are They're facing huge challenges. There are people who are afraid of being primaried from yeah. the right. And, and yeah. rightfully which so. Is, which is scary. They're also afraid scary. Of, like a competitive, of an actual competitive race in what have previously been safe districts. Yeah. You know, on like the Democrat side as well. Like, as in like if the Democrat challengers are actually like standing a chance of putting up a pretty good fight. And this is where it gets a little scary because obviously we want to not run against an incumbent because the incumbency the incumbency advantage is gone. But now we're running against far right, you know, nut jobs like Andrew said. And like mm -hmm. if they win, that's worse than having the modern Republican and, and or the, the quote unquote business Republican there. And you and I had talked about this sort of like rock, paper, scissors analogy of the only thing that can beat a moderate establishment Republican or moderate establishment Democrat is a progressive Democrat, right. like a liberal, a real, real progressive, someone who's to the left of the Washington establishment. But the only one that can possibly beat a progressive Democrat is a right-wing populist. And the right. reason is because they both appeal to the same kind of voters, right? right? We have on the left, though, appealing to hope, to optimism, to inclusivity. And on the right, we have fear. We have, you know, terror. Des desperation, terror, yep. and that's the difference. And that's why it's so important that if you are, a, if you are a Republican, or if you know any Republicans, get out there and vote in your primary. Put someone reasonable forward, and these Democrats will do the same thing and put the best possible progressive forward. Yeah, uh, I want to close out the show a little bit by talking about um, Roy Moore <laughs> a little bit. Uh, so, yeah, uh, you, you know, I'd be we'd be remiss if we left that out of the show. So Roy Moore this week was accused of I think I think it's the one person so far. Uh, I think there's more. There's more. There's multiple. Okay. There's multiple. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I must have missed that. Um, Roy Moore, uh, Republican Senate candidate in Alabama, was accused of sexual assault by you know apparently several women. Uh, and not only did he not, he sort of denied it by calling it fake news. Again, that's the, that's the standard Trumpian defense. You know, throw that in the garbage. Who cares? But he also went on Hannity. He also admitted it on Hannity. Yeah, he also admitted it though. He yeah, also but he said, also admitted it. He so also like, gave as a defense for it that he would ask the mothers for permission before right. he took the fourteen-year-olds uh, like on dates. Like, which I'm is sorry, you which can't. is disgusting. You know, it's obviously disgusting. The problem is, uh, some polls came out today that showed that like thirty percent, like thirty percent of Alabama of Alabamans actually found it like. A reason to be more likely to vote for Roy Moore because of his right. accusations. Wait, 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 wait. Not, wait. not because not because these people are like pedophiles or anything, but more in that like they think it's a mainstream establishment media attack on oh, him, and they respect another, him. More. Another poll just came out that showed Doug Jones actually four points ahead. And this is not one of those Facebook fundraising things you see. It's right. like Doug Jones is in striking distance. No, this was <laughs> donate, donate, donate. This was shared by the Hill, which is a you know leaning conservative right. news news source. I mean, this is he has a real shot to win. 
Right. We can get turnout out, and if the Republicans will either pull away towards a write-in candidate or if they don't show up, I mean, we could see a Democratic senator from Alabama. I mean, not, and this is not someone who's catering to the to the center or to the right. No, this like is he's a pretty, real, he's a pretty real like, Democrat. Yeah, yeah, in Alabama. Yeah, like he's not like the most progressive guy, but like he's like a pretty true blue Democrat, like pro-abortion or, or you know pro pro-choice. Um, you know, accountability for police, that kind of thing. I mean, he like, prosecuted the killing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So like, so like, he he's a person that like, if you ask the average person in Alabama, like, will probably say it's good to prosecute people in the KKK. You know, probably. I would hope so. No, I mean, yeah. I would hope so. Um, but you know, again, like, I I have optimism for this because you know, Roy Moore was already a disgusting person, didn't deserve having, you know, didn't deserve being nominated for the Senate. And, like, people, you know, people on the Republican side are even, were even saying this already. I know t- today I saw a tweet Bob from, Corker. today I saw a tweet from Bob Corker saying, like, this was already a step too far. Yeah, Bob Corker, I really wish you had done more to campaign against Roy Moore, but that's that's neither here nor there. Uh, you have, and you have people, you have, I think, at least 10 Republican senators saying, you know, Again, with the caveat, if these allegations are true, he should step aside. But they're calling for him to step aside. And the thing is, I don't know what the legalities are for removing a so Senate he, candidate. So he can't... He's Imagine not if they've done that for Trump. He's not allowed <laughs> to pull out within, like, 72 days of the election. And uh, it's like that's a month right. yeah. But what he can do is just, like, he can disavow himself from the race, basically. And any votes that are... Like, he'll be on the ballot, but any votes that go towards him just won't count. Okay. And so at that point, they have no choice. I don't think to, it's gonna happen. They have no choice but to submit a write-in candidate. And right. Obviously, that's extremely difficult to do. You know, I mean, and you see on Twitter all the time, like Republicans would rather vote, would rather like vote for a write-in or like find some way to find some new Republican than vote for a guy like Doug Jones, who is you know a good guy, honest, admirable, did a lot of great work. You know, again, prosecuting, you know. Pretty much terrorists prosecuting yes, terrorists in Alabama. But they'd rather they'd rather find some other swamp monster than vote for a good, honest guy like Doug Jones, which is again emblematic of how far we have to go in Alabama, in a state like Alabama. But you know this is encouraging, and we see polls like Andrew said coming out that show either Doug Jones ahead slightly or behind slightly, which is absolutely huge in a state like Alabama, which is. Probably the toughest state in the country for Democrats. Even Mississippi's easier for Democrats in Alabama. So we have to be working towards that. And I feel this whole issue with uh, Roy Moore kind of goes into this whole issue with sexual assault we've been seeing mm-hmm. lately. Yeah. Because, uh, and, and there's, yeah, like Harvey Weinstein, uh, Kevin Spacey, et cetera, et cetera. Right, right. And uh, I saw this article, someone was trying to just rationalize what Roy Moore was doing, saying, <laughs> yeah, like something with Joseph and Marriott, like, oh. Alabama's yeah. a theocracy. Yeah. Alabama's so a theocracy. It's a shame, and I feel like this particularly highlights issues with sexual assault and people trying to rationalize sexual assault and not and put the blame on the victim and not on right. the assaulter yeah. right. or and, the rapist. And, Another yeah. avenue in Alabama is they completely like advocate the ignoring of the separation of church and state. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Roy Moore got taken off the Alabama Supreme Court twice for I believe it was a controversy with the uh, Ten Commandments statue or something like that. Um, and then he... Uh, was trying to uh, prevent, you know, gay marriage after uh, Obergefell versus uh, Hobbs. I can't right, yeah. that, that's, the, that's, the, that's the Supreme Court case that yeah. legalized gay marriage nationwide. I, I just want to make sure that in the context of this conversation, we're not demonizing anyone who's a Republican in Alabama not. just for being a Republican. I mean, right. no. there, there are people who are sensible conservatives who just happen to live in the South, and you don't agree with a lot of this. Don't agree yeah. with right. the idea that Christianity should be right. yeah. our yeah. policies. Uh, don't uh, agree uh, with, it's like, definitely... Yeah. I want to make it clear, I make it clear it, that... It is an ideology that is... 
definitely heavily based in the South, though. Yeah, I, I just want I want to clarify that like I was just talking about pundits on Twitter, like that would rather you either vote for Roy Moore because you know voting for a scary Democrat is bad, or like find some alternative to the other major party nominee who is a good guy. Mm-hmm. You know that I'm just talking about pundits. I'm not talking. I'm not trying to demonize you know Alabama Republicans, most of whom I'm sure are nice people. So, uh, <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean for that. <laughs> okay, uh, so let's close out the show. Yeah. <laughs> that's, oh, a good, that's a good ending. To, <laughs> that's a good ending to the show. Uh, thanks for listening, and hopefully we'll have a show next week. Thanks for listening, y'all.